Welcome to the QEH podcast, the place to find out more about the school and to connect with staff, pupils and parents at a deeper level. Each week we'll be interviewing people within the QEH community, asking them questions and spending time understanding more about them and more about the school. In this episode, our very first episode, we speak to Mr. Rupert Heathcote, headmaster of the school, and we discuss how he handles challenge, how he's looking to build better relations with people in the local area, and how the school is actively looking to reduce pupil numbers, something that flies in the face of many independent schools. But we also find out what Mr. Heathcote's favourite band is that he never saw in concert. And I'm not sure you'll guess who it is, so stick around to the end to find out who that might be. But in the meantime, join us as we explore the world of QEH from the Headmaster's Office. Rupert, thank you for being here today and welcome to the QEH podcast. Yeah, well, thank you, Simon. It's great to be able to, to join you and thank you for, for pulling this all together for us. Well, I'm, I'm really excited that you're here. I'm really excited to talk to you because this is the first episode in the school's new podcast channel. So how does that feel actually to be the first guest to kick off this new way of communicating with the whole school community? Yeah, well, we've done quite a lot of new things, haven't we, in the last year? And I suppose... Um, Podcasts are uh, one of one of the ways I'm sure many many people absorb their their sort of information and their media at the moment, and, and mm. um, we we've, we thought it was the natural next step, really. And I'm looking looking forward to this talking to you uh, today, and also actually looking forward to listening to all the other um, members of the school community who are going to be uh, involved in this in the sort of weeks and months to come. So mm. no, this can be super. Excellent. Now, I've got a few things I'd like to unpack with you. But before I do that, could you just give me a snapshot of who you are and how long you've been at the school, but also how your career brought you to this point? Mm. Yeah, so I'm Rupert Heathcote. I'm headmaster here at QEH, Queen Elizabeth Hospital School. Uh, I've only been headmaster for the last year. So I joined in April uh, 2020. Prior to that, I was deputy head and second master at uh, King Edward School in Edgbaston in Birmingham. Mm-hmm. And uh, prior to that, I worked in Scotland for 10, 12 years at uh, two big boarding schools in Scotland, uh, Fetis College and uh, Merkston Castle School, which is also in Edinburgh. So I kind of started my teaching career in Scotland and um, gradually worked worked my way south. I'm, I'm originally from Bath, so I'm relatively local in the southwest. My wife's from Dorset. Um, so I suppose there was just a sense of us gradually moving closer to our roots in some ways. And you grew up in Bath, grew up in the UK. Uh, so which school did you go to there then? So I went to Moncton Coombe School, which is on our fixture list now. I'm pleased to see it, QEH. <laughs> um, I, was actually, I was actually brought up in the village. Mon- Moncton Coombe School is, is, is a small rural boarding school on the edge of Bath. And uh, I was actually brought up in Moncton Coombe Village itself. So um, I lived almost uh, on the doorstep of the school and went to the school. Um, bizarrely, or some people find it quite bizarre, I actually boarded at Moncton Coombe um, for many years, despite mm. actually living you know, within about a minute's walk from the school. So that was, that was quite surreal, I think, at times. I, I, I do remember, maybe in my sixth form years, I could actually see my own house, <laughs> my own home from my, <laughs> from my boarding study bedroom. So that was quite bizarre, but it was mm. superb, superb fun. Mm. Okay, so let's bring it back to QEH. When you first joined the school on day one and you were walking through those iconic blue doors, mm. how did you feel in that moment right then? Well, it was quite a strange time, as, as I'm sure everyone is now aware. Um, mm. You know, so we, we think back to back to last April. 
Um, essentially, we were just just in lockdown, so I think we've just we're just recording this just after the the the, the one year anniversary of lockdown beginning, aren't we? Mm. On the twenty third of March. Well, I took over on the fourteenth of April, so it really was you know a very surreal time and, and a very strange to be taking over a school um, that w- really was in a state of um, you know quite a lot of uncertainty and a huge amount of anxiety, you know, as as was seen throughout the whole of the, our sort of. The whole whole of the country at at, at that time. Hmm. Um, starting in April was an interesting one. O- originally, you know, headmasters often normally start at new schools uh, in September, the beginning of the school year. Hmm. It's the obvious time to start. Um, I was originally going to start in September of 2020, uh, but shortly after being appointed, I was contacted by the chairman of governors, and they asked me if I would start in in the April, so the summer term, and I had. I had these great visions of having a lovely summer term where, you know, no one was really asking anything of me and I could wander around the boundary rope and watch cricket matches and shake hands with lots of people and say hello. And I thought that'd be a lovely kind of way to ease myself in, really. And um, everyone I spoke to thought that was a super idea. And why didn't I kind of leave leave King Edwards a bit early and, and go and start a term early at, at QEH? And then, of course, <laughs> everything hit us that hit us. And suddenly, really, I was taking over a school, you know, at an absolutely critical time. And I think people were, you know, there was quite a lot of pressure, really. I, th- I think people were expecting me to come in and were looking to me very early on to make some quite big decisions some very significant decisions and to really lead the, the, um, the staff and the pupils and the whole school community through, you know, what could have been a really, really difficult time. So I suppose, what did it feel like? I did. I don't. I don't remember feeling particularly daunted. I felt quite excited. I quite liked those sort of challenges, and um, and I think, to be honest, you know, these these challenges and these situations really do, does give someone like you know someone coming into a role of leadership like a new head really a fantastic opportunity to really um, set out a stall, uh, make a really strong impression. Uh, build some very strong relationships. You always build very strong relationships, don't you? You know, when people are up against it, if you like. And um, no, it was it, w- it was a really powerful time. And joining in that strange way, um, I was very lucky to have a superb team that was already in place here, a superb sort of senior leadership team, as we call it here. And um, you know, an awful lot of excellent things have been put in place already. But I think I, I'm very pleased I did join at that moment because it allowed me really to set the tone for what we hoped was only going to be for the next term, but of course has really turned out to be for the whole year. So I think that was really, really important. So tell me more then about enjoying that sort of, uh, that confrontation of challenge. And Mm. can you think of any other times in your life where you've had anything, okay, maybe not pandemic-like, but another challenge of some kind that you've needed to sort of embrace in order to resolve it? Mm. That's a good question, Simon. Um, Take a minute if you like. Yeah. I mean, people, you know, whenever people ask me that, you know, I go back to when I was actually quite small. My father died when I was uh, only 13 or 14. Oh, gosh. And I think I think that's definitely influenced me in an enormous way about how I deal with these sort of situations. You know, I think I feel that, um, you know, you need to go go through these enormous challenges with with a bit of humor. And I think building relationships with people is so so important, and that that was one of the things that um, that was one of the things that I was very keen to do very quickly when we were mm-hmm. faced with this this situation. I felt people had to trust me mm-hmm. um, because changing the head of a school, especially you know a very 
um, traditional school like QEH, you know, a very well-established independent school, you know, changing the head doesn't happen very often. And it often throws schools into quite a sense of flux and difficulty at the best of times. And I think trying changing the head at the time we were doing it, you know, potentially really could have put people, you know, on edge and very um, ill at ease. And that was exactly what we didn't want people to feel at that time when people had had enough of that going on anyway. So, you know, I, I was really keen that I had to very quickly build relationships and build trust and for people to feel that they were being being led. I mean, it's a bit of a cliche, really, but I think I really wanted people to feel that they could trust the decisions that, that we were making. Um, so that was really, really important. I'm not sure that answered the question time, but I... No, it, it does very well. And th- thank you for sharing that with us. I mean, one of the key things I which I thought very early on was, um, you know, in all these challenging situations, communication is absolutely the key thing. And um, as long as you communicate clearly and, uh, you know, and that's with all the stakeholders, really, you know, with, with the parents, with the, the staff, with the governors, if you communicate clearly and you know, you're pretty decisive and you, you show you show empathy and also a bit of vulnerability as well. I think that's really important that, that mm-hmm. you are sort of human and, um, you know, then you build build trust with people and build build those relationships. And that, that's what schools in particular are like. You know, it's about communities and it's about relationships. So as well as starting as headmaster at the school at that time, back in April 2020, you were also trying to move house with your family and you had children starting at new schools mm. and, and everything that comes with that. How did you balance the demands of home life with the demands mm. of running and running a school? Yeah, well, I didn't really very well. I think that's fair to say. <laughs> um, I mean, my, my wife, Louise, um, she works full time as well. She works for a big law firm based in Birmingham, where we near to where we lived previously in the Midlands. So yeah, no, it was quite a time, wasn't it? So we, we were really were in a, in a state of transition. We actually, we originally sold our house in Worcestershire in the January. Okay. So we'd lived in rented accommodation in Worcestershire for three months. Gosh. We had a, we had a house purchase in Bristol lined up, but that fell through as these things were doing at the time. So we ended up having to move into rental accommodation in Bristol with, you know, most of our possessions as happens to these, in these situations ended up in storage. So we were, and we were just about the last move before lockdown, essentially. Right. Um, so we just managed to get to Bristol. At, at one point, we were actually considering staying in Worcestershire and me commuting. Oh, gosh. I mean, thank goodness we never went down that route in the end. Um, because once once term started, I came into school every single day. I, I wanted to be based here and I wanted to mm. be able to work here. Because again, I think that's quite symbolic in some ways. And, and, and even though almost all the staff were at home, you know, delivering virtual school at home, I thought it was quite important hmm. or very important for me to be here. And I suppose rather selfishly, I, I felt I had to absolutely commit my time and my efforts and my focus towards getting the, keeping the school running as effectively as possible um, and not necessarily be distracted at home where my three children were joining their new schools virtually, which, which you know, was, was, was tricky for them. And it's enormous credit to them how well they did during that really difficult time. And my wife as well was trying to work from home. And at that stage, of course, no one had really worked from home before, had they? Now it's completely the norm. But, you know, for her, she was having to run her team remotely and also look after children who had been, you know, who had moved house and moved school and were dealing with everything else. Everyone was dealing with the pandemic and joining new schools. So, no, it was a, it was a, I mean, looking back on it, you know, the family did incredibly well considering everything that was thrown at them. And, you know, my three children are are a great team. They're, they're quite close in age. I've got a son who's in year eight. He's in year eight here at QEH. And I've got twin girls who are in year six 
So they're quite close together in age, and they you know they get on extremely well. So they they kind of really operated as a as a little threesome. So mm-hmm. so that was really nice from that perspective. Well, I'm sure that you're a stronger family unit as a result of that. Well, then. yeah, I think there is an element to that. I'm sure I'm sure many families have found that you know there's obviously been ups and downs. It's fair to say, Simon, but um, uh, but no, I, I think that's I think that's that's, that's very true. Okay, so we've looked at the past. Let's look a little bit at the future. Mm. Can you tell tell me some of the future developments in the school over the next two to three years? Yeah, so I mean, normally when one as a headmaster took over or a head teacher takes over a new school, you know, you'd spend the first year basically pulling together your development plan, which would kind of take you through for the next five years or so. And you know, that was obviously the my master plan, but circumstances have meant that that hasn't necessarily come together as clearly as I would have wanted because I haven't actually seen a normal school day um, at all. And you know, I haven't seen, I haven't even scratched the surface of the rich, amazing education that QEH offers in many ways. You know, the, to be honest, it's the stuff that goes on outside the classroom, which I particularly love in schools like this. And, you know, even, you know, in the, in the sport and the music and the drama and the enrichment and, and everything else that's going on is, is the stuff that's so sad that over the last year we've, we've lost so much. So, you know, there's a huge amount I haven't experienced yet, even though I've been here a year, which is obviously quite tricky. But going forward, I have some very clear sort of broad ideas where I want the school to go. We're a, we're a hugely historic school. We're, we're, we're 431 years old this year. Gosh. We've mm. just celebrated our what's called our Charter Day. Well, we would have been all trooping off down to the Bristol Cathedral for a very big service celebrating what we call Charter Day, which is the um, celebrates the, the, the uh, presentation of the school charter from Queen Elizabeth I. I see, right. Who um, you know, has to present a charter for the school to be originally set up in 15, 1590. So um, a sort of founding day, Charter Day. So I, I, this is the second year running. That event hasn't happened because... Last March it didn't happen. It hasn't happened this March either. So we were set. We're a very historic school from that perspective. We were set up by one gentleman, really. It was his idea, John Carr, a soap merchant, and he set up the school on a philanthropic basis, which many of many schools like ours were set up in that way in, in, uh, during that time. And it was set up for the orphans and, and boys and very poor boys in the city of Bristol, and was originally known as the City School. And for many many years, the school had that history of educating the poor and the disadvantaged and like many schools many independent schools over the years you know we've 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 moved a long way from that as an ethos and you know in essence unfortunately we are now pretty inaccessible to most of the population of Bristol which isn't what I think a school like ours should be so I have very strong feelings about that and I have big aspirations for us to become far more accessible for us to be able to provide far more bursary funded places and essentially for the school to become to kind of go back to its roots in some ways and become more like the city school which is what it was um, originally known as and be accessible to far more uh, boys and girls who live in Bristol. When, when I was at King Edwards in Birmingham, uh, King Edwards in Birmingham uh, worked a huge amount towards this goal and have done there over the last 10 years or so and you know with a with a target you know raising huge amounts of money for bursary funding essentially for for bursary funded places for for boys who whose families wouldn't wouldn't be otherwise be able to afford to send them there that's the sort of key behind it and so you know i i I have experience of that and i've come from a come from a school where that was a central part of the ethos and and i'm very keen to embed that into the central part of the ethos here at QEH because I think it, it's, it's, it's a really, really important thing. This sounds like a, a watch this space kind of thing then. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this, yeah, I mean, this won't, this won't be done next September. This is no, something that's going to, you know, we're going to begin term. a, 
yeah, I, I would say over the next 10 years, I would like to, you know, begin a huge development funding fundraising process whereby we can raise money and we can, you know, we can we can attract applications. Firstly, that's the biggest thing to do, attract applications to the school from a much wider part of the community in Bristol. Mm-hmm. And then also be able to provide funded places, which I think is so important. Rupert, what are you most looking forward to in the next academic year? And I'm not going to let you say emerging from a pandemic, because I think we can take that as a given. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's that it's that sort of thing. I think it, it's you know, I mean, it's very hard to, you know, what I'm really looking forward to is returning to that normality. I don't even want me to say that, but that's what that's what I'm and I'm thinking I'm, I'm I'm looking forward to doing all the things I haven't been able to do this year. I'm looking forward to really getting to know Bristol because that's something I haven't done yet. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, we've, we've been here a year. We, we haven't struck, we, we've, we've been out and about quite a bit doing our exercise that we've been allowed to do. And we've been out and about quite a bit, but I know one of the main reasons we were so excited about this job was that we know Bristol was such a wonderful city. And we really have, I mean, I wouldn't even say scratch the surface yet. We had, there was a brief period, wasn't there last summer where we seemed to be able to get out and about quite a bit and pubs and restaurants and things were open and, and everything was all pretty jolly wasn't it and I think I'm you know I'm really looking forward to that and I'm really looking forward to seeing you know Bristol in its in its full glory because you know everyone I know raves about what a wonderful place it is and I think and part of that as well is getting out and about in the local countryside you know we're, we're very outdoor active people and that's very mm-hmm. important to us um, so you know exploring the wider environs of Bristol um, we're looking forward to that and I think actually one thing I haven't done at all yet, which I really want to do, is get get to know the local community as well around the school and in Bristol. Um, I think it's really important for schools like ours. You know, we employ a huge number of people locally. We, um, you know, are as a as a as a business, we support all sorts of other businesses, be that food suppliers or stonemasons or you know cleaning teams and all this sort of stuff. You know, and I'm really looking forward to actually getting to know the local community. You know, just around us here in Clifton and also actually in the city. I, I really want to build some bridges with, um, you know, the local city council and all our other um, colleagues in different forms of education in the city, in all different types of schools. You know, I think schools now have to work in partnerships uh, with each other because we've got so much to learn and so much to benefit from working together. And that's something that I felt I haven't been able to get off the ground yet. Mm-hmm. And it's something I really want to. And, you know, again, I'm, I'm going back to my time at King Edwards. It's something I've seen work very, very well. So that's, that's, that's mm-hmm. really important to me and lots and lots to look forward to uh, in the months ahead. I'd like to talk just briefly about pastoral care at the school. Mm. Uh, how does QEH approach pastoral care? And what examples do you see of this having a real impact on a day-to-day basis? So pastoral care is at the core of what we think is so special about QEH. I mean, that's very clear to me and that stood out to me ever since I um, heard about the opportunity here and found out more about the school and I know from you know talking to people who know the school both in Bristol and further afield that's what QEH is known for Um, you know there are other very very good schools in Bristol and uh, you know we all offer slightly different um, programs and you know but QEH is known for its pastoral care and we're really really proud of that I mean I've my background when I was working in Scotland was in boarding schools where I was a housemaster for many years where and then when I was a deputy head my focus was also pastoral care so that's really in in my DNA really and um, you know I'm absolutely crystal clear that if if the boys and girls feel happy and they love coming to school and they feel looked after and they feel safe and they feel valued essentially everything else in a school like this will fall into place Mm. so their their academic results will fall into place their 
sporting ambitions will fall into place, their ambitions in the theatre or in the concert hall will fall into place. Mental well-being. Yeah, if, if they're happy and they love coming to school and if I have a, if I have a, a community of staff who love coming to work, because pastoral care, you know, that, that covers staff well-being as well, you know, I really do feel that that all falls into place. So we, we, we absolutely prioritise it here. We're a, we're a slightly smaller school than some of, our, some of the other schools in Bristol and that, I think, really, really helps. You know, we want to know the individual boy and girl. We want to really get to know them as people and we want to be able to support them in their ambitions. And essentially, I want them to leave the school having achieved more than they could possibly imagine when they arrived. So, hmm. And I think absolutely the core of that is if they're happy and feel looked after and safe and respected. And so pastoral care is absolutely vital for that. One of the things we're doing there, Simon, actually, which is quite unusual, I think, for independent schools at the moment, is that we're, we're actually looking to actually reduce our size a little bit. Okay. Um, we feel we've almost grown too big. We're, we're very lucky. We're, we're hugely oversubscribed. And the temptation is always to, you know, stack them high, basically, because we are a business at the end of the day. And, and that means more income. But actually, what we've really felt, particularly over the last year, actually, it's become really clear to us how important being able to give individual focus to children is. And, mm. you know, the circumstance we've had over the last year has, has meant that's been harder than ever with the children at home for an awful long time. And so, you know, we, we, we feel we have grown maybe just a little bit too big and actually we need to just reduce our numbers a little bit and um, I'd be surprised if you find an independent school in the country who's who's saying that <laughs> so actually in for our year seven next year we're actually reducing our, our overall size of year seven by about 20 boys so and I think that allows us just to have slightly smaller forms and you know it, it makes makes a big difference if a form teacher form tutor has only got 20 boys to look after rather than 27 so uh, we think that's really, really important. So, mm. yeah, partial care is absolutely key. And actually, well, the other thing to, that's in sort of front of mind issues at the moment, we've had the BLM campaign last summer really shone a spotlight, didn't it, on issues of race and the understanding mm -hmm. of racism in our community. And then certainly I, I've had a real feeling over the last three or so weeks where we've had a real national narrative around you know, the challenges that women and girls face in communities and the challenges of misogyny and sexism in society. It's had a very similar feel to me. That's the, 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 the sort of protests we've seen and, and, and the narrative that's played out on social media and in the wider community. So we feel, you know, all of that, there's a huge amount of work we need to do, well, that all schools need to do, do in, but also that we, that we are planning to do at QEH to, you know, investigate both those major issues and look at all areas of um, all areas of challenge that I think so many communities are facing at the moment and I think you know it's our responsibility as an, as an educator of these people who are going to go out and, and become leaders we hope in the future that we give them the, the, you know, the absolutely best grounding we possibly can in these mm. in these really important issues. It's refreshing to hear this Rupert it really is. Yeah. Now you mentioned about knowing the individual and actually I'd like to share something with the people listening to this about you as an individual. Right. So I've got a couple of questions here which are all about you and nothing to do with the school so right. uh, what's the one band you wish you had seen in concert but you never did uh guns and roses guns and roses oh okay <laughs> good choice i like that i like that yeah, guns and roses i, I used to or, or death leopard okay a bit of a rocker then aren't you <laughs> well not really but I, but certainly they were they were i was huge fans of them when i was when i was very young and i used to well, not very young a bit younger <laughs> and i you know i loved i loved i loved watching um, videos of them of course it was at the time but no Guns mm. N' Roses Axl Rose was an absolute legend so there you are so what's the best band that you did see then uh, Oasis yeah. what year was that going back a little bit mid 90s so that was at Nebworth so I went to one of those 
huge concerts they did. Mm. When was it? I've left school. Was it 96, 97? Not sure. You have to look it up, Simon. I don't know. Okay. All it right. Nebworth. Yeah. They, 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 did, they did these two massive concerts at Nebworth when they played in front of half a million people or something. And wow. I was one of them. So they were. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, when you're not at school, what's your favorite sport to watch? Uh, rugby. Definitely. Okay. A mm-hmm. Bath supporter, which won't, which won't please everyone here in Bristol. Though I have to say, my son, who was also a Bath supporter, has suddenly become a Bristol supporter. I'm not quite sure why that is, but <laughs> but he's um, shamelessly swapped sides. But no, I mean, we're very lucky, aren't we, in the West Country to have Bath and Bristol and Gloucester and, and Exeter just on our doorstep. So mm. I'm really looking forward to getting back and, and watching some rugby. Uh, what was your first car? Uh, it was a Peugeot 205. Oh, okay. White. The GTI one or not? No, I don't think it was GTI. Mm-hmm. Wasn't it? I, don't, I don't think I was a allowed to upgrade to that Uh, but i cycle to school uh, Mm because i'm lucky enough to live very close which i really enjoy Mm. cars wise we've got these two knackered cars that are basically an embarrassment i think i think i think my predecessor was quite quite proud of his cars so Mm-hmm. Um, there was always something very nice and shiny in the headmaster's car park space, but there certainly isn't anymore. <laughs> I can tell you. I tell you what, what I was very proud of. Did you hear what, what I was most proud of? I was very proud of my Peugeot 205 because I drove it to Norway mm-hmm. to do my dissertation. Gosh. I did my dissertation um, on glaciers in Norway when I was at university. And it made it all the way there and it all the way back. Well, just, you, you say that. It's funny you should say that, Simon. <laughs> it, um, I went with a pal from university and we had a great time, but on the last night, we had to sleep in the Peugeot 205, as Ooh. one does when you're a student, mm. uh, to get the early ferry from Bergen back to Hull, I think it was. Okay, right. And we must have, we must have left one of the uh, internal lights on in the, in the Peugeot 205. Oh, so no. when it came to board the ferry, mm-hmm. we had to push the Peugeot 205 onto the ferry <laughs> so it, and then charge it up on the ferry. We just, we just about made it back. But no, the, the old Peugeot 205 did a, did a good job. Well, hats off to the 205 in that case. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Rupert, we need to bring this to a close. But for mm. anyone who's heard anything and might want to get in touch, what's the best way they should do that? Yeah, it'd be great. I'd, you know, I'd love to talk, talk to people about, about the school and, and any sort of our plans for the future. So um, you can find us obviously online. We're at qehbristol.co.uk. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can contact us uh, on on office at qehbristol.co.uk. And I mean, you can find us all on social media and everything else as well. Of course. Well, look, thank you so much for your time. I've really enjoyed talking to you today. I really appreciate you being here. Brilliant. Thanks, Simon. And there we go. A big thank you to Rupert Heathcote. It's always interesting to see the direction a school is going in. And QEH was certainly no exception. Now, don't forget that you can contact the school if you have any questions. It's qehbristol.co.uk or you can email office at qehbristol.co.uk. To find the school on social, just search QEH Bristol. So this has been episode one. But in episode two, we're talking to two students to find out what they have to say, because we can't just have the headmaster talking. I'm sure he'd be the first to recommend that you hear from the students as well. So if you haven't followed or subscribed to this podcast channel, then now's the time to do it, because then it means that when episode two comes out, you'll receive a small notification to let you know that it's available. And that just means you won't miss it. So go do that now, but in the meantime, keep yourself safe and we'll look forward to seeing you in the next episode. Bye for now.